My brave lad, he sleeps in his faded coat of blue. In a lonely grave alone lies the heart that beats so true. They will find him and know him amongst the good and true. When a robe of white is given for that faded coat of blue. No more the Welcome to War of the Rebellion, Stories of the Civil War. I am your host, Leon, and this is episode one of my Patreon episodes, and the first free episode that I'm doing, so you guys can see what my Patreon's about. And I am reading and commenting on Company K, 155th Pennsylvania Volunteers, Zouaves, a detailed history of its organization and service to the country during the Civil War from 1862 until the collapse of the rebellion. Together with many incidents and reminiscence of the camp, the march, and the battlefield, also much of the history of the Grand Old 155th by B.U.T. Major D.P. Marshall, assisted by Major J.A. Klein and Sergeant W.D. Porter. To the memory of my former comrades who defended the glorious Union in the war against rebellion, whether they fell upon the battlefield or wasted away from wounds and disease in hospitals and prisons, whether they lie buried in lonely southern graves or returned home with shattered constitutions to suffer and sink into untimely graves, this volume is most affectionately dedicated by the author. Borrowed and Adopted from Captain T.J. Wright. Preface In placing this history before the public, the author can assure his readers that this work is no fiction, but the stern realities of life at the front, showing our many hardships, marches, skirmishers, and battles on many a bloody field, giving them, in chronological order, and detailing many incidents of daily toils, camp duties, and many incidents, some amusing, making a history of the true inwardness of a soldier's life. This work is written at the solicitation of many of the author's former comrades, and while he has never aspired to be an author, nor expects to embellish this work with flowery flights of language, he has labored to make it true and correct as he saw, or knew, or believed it to be from his position. And to this end, has used all available help, but especially the letters written home to his wife, who thoughtfully and carefully preserved every one. The author takes this opportunity to thank all who have in any way contributed to the correctness of this work, but more especially Major J.A. Klein and Sergeant W.D. Porter, who have materially assisted and who have contributed to the contents of the book, the former writing part first, or the inception and organization of the company. While this was intended only for a brief history of Company K, it is virtually a brief history of the 155th Regiment Pennsylvania Volunteers, to which, in its eventful service, it was an honor and a privilege to belong. With the personal history of the company added, knowing that he did not see everything that others saw, or know everything that others knew, or write something that others could write, Still, he hopes the following pages will be a welcome and interesting visitor in every home, and especially 
in that of all old soldiers and their numerous friends. The Author Contents Part First A Sketch of the Early Life of J. A. Klein and History of the Organization of the Volunteer Company called The Loyal Union Guards up to its assignment to the 155th Regiment, Pennsylvania Volunteer Infantry, with an appendix by Major J.A. Klein. Introduction This work is undertaken by the writer with a conscientious of his inability to do the subject justice. He is well aware that his pen is not that of a, quote, a ready writer, unquote. But after waiting for more than 22 years, and no one having attempted to give a history of the 155th Regiment, Pennsylvania Volunteers, that noble regiment of which our company formed a part, I have felt constrained at the earnest solicitation of others to undertake the work. The writer does not have the records and other data to enable him to give a history of the regiment. He will only attempt to write the history of Company K of that regiment, but in doing that will necessarily give the battles and marches and much of the history of the whole regiment. We do not claim that our company was any braver than thousands of other companies, nor do we suppose that we suffered more hardships than others. But this is written as a monument to our fallen comrades, and that of our friends, and our children, and our children's children may have at least a faint idea of what we suffered from heat and cold, rain and snow, storm and sunshine, as well as from hunger, thirst, and fatigue, to say nothing of battles wounds and sickness, and death which lay in our path, and all for what? It was not because we had no homes that we loved, nor because we had no employment other than carrying a musket. Many of us were farmers and left grain and hay in the field ready to be housed, while some left the plow in the furrow with the horses unharnessed. Some were mechanics and left their tools on the bench and their jobs uncompleted. Others were students at the academy, preparing themselves for future usefulness in some of the professions. They, too, laid down their books, took up their hats, and started. There were none of us that did not leave those behind who were near and dear, whose faces the departing soldier would never again be permitted to see in this world. It might be a beloved wife and children, who had been dependent upon our daily labor for their substance. It might be some sweet girl, in whom all the bright dreams for the future were centered. It might be a dear father and mother, whose gray hairs would be hastened to the grave by our absence. Again, it was not ignorance of war and its consequences which caused us to enlist. Because the war had already continued sixteen months, and many of our acquaintances who had gone out in the struggle earlier had already laid down their lives on their country's altar or had been maimed for life. And as the war was still going on, and, as far as we could see, apparently in its incipiency, we well knew we might expect to encounter dangers as great as those who had gone before us. It could not have been money that induced us to enlist, as we were promised only $13 per month, and $100 bounty, $25 in hand, and the balance at the close of the period of our enlistment, or at the close of the war if that should terminate before our enlistment. As far as money was concerned, we could have made far more by remaining at home. Nor was it likely that money would have 
hired us to stand up to be shot at as we did for days and weeks and months. It was no love we had for war with all its dreadful accompaniments that led us to enlist. Probably there was not one of us who previously would not have shuddered at the very thought of participating in a battle where the missiles of death would be flying about us as thick as hail, where our comrades would be falling all about us dead, mangled and torn, and suffering more than death, and we looked on not knowing what instant the messenger would come for us. We were not compelled to enlist as there had been no draft, and the draft was not mentioned for months afterwards. Then, what was it that induced us to enlist? It was that spirit of patriotism within us, which was far more honorable, more noble, more grand than any of the reasons enumerated above. We have no desire to boast of our bravery or patriotism, but our country and our country's flag was in danger, and that too from traitorous hands. We enlisted to fight for and maintain and probably die for our country that it might be perpetuated and handed down to succeeding generations, one and undivided, great and glorious, the happy and prosperous country that we now have. A country reaching, quote, from sea to sea and from the rivers to the ends of the earth, unquote, thus literally describing Christ's kingdom on earth with the Atlantic on the east, the Pacific on the west, the Great Lakes with the connecting rivers on the north, to the end of Florida on the south, the most southern point of the United States. As long as disputes arise in or among nations which cannot be settled by peaceful methods, and when the sword must be appealed to for the settlement of difficulties, then the only safety that remains to a government is in the courage of its soldiers. And in our government, where in time of peace we have but a few thousand soldiers whose trade is war, and where the government is, quote, by the people, for the people, unquote, our safety must depend on the courage and patriotism of our citizen soldiers. And our late bloody struggle, the unity of our nation was preserved, and the perpetuity of our institutions secured by the patriotism and bravery of the men who bore the musket and who led it in the deadly conflict. Argument and moral sentiment had proved to be of no avail. Diplomacy was powerless, and courage proved to be the only peacemaker. The people of Pennsylvania, and of the whole North, were slow to believe that the South really meant to inaugurate civil war. But after several of the southern states had passed formal acts of secession, and when South Carolina began to collect forces under the leadership of General Beauregard, with the avowed intention of taking Fort Sumter in Charleston Harbor, held by Major Anderson and sixty men, then the North began to think it possible that a war might come, and to some extent prepared the public mind for the telegram which flashed over the wires on the morning of the 12th of April, 1861, to Governor Andrew G. Curtin. In these words, Quote, the war is commenced. The batteries began firing this morning at four o'clock. Major Anderson replied, and a brisk cannonading commenced. This is reliable and has just come to the Associate Press. Unquote. The threats and braggadocio of the South had long since ceased to intimidate the Northern people. But now, since they had fired on the flag, 
their intentions could no longer be mistaken. It meant war, bloody war, and the appeal to arms was accepted by the people of the North, however much they deplored the alternative. Three days later, April 15th, Abraham Lincoln, President of the United States, issued a proclamation calling for 75,000 men for the term of three months. Sixteen of the regiments were called from Pennsylvania. Two of them wanted within three days, as the capital was already strongly threatened. Pennsylvania's quota of 16 regiments was filled in a few days, and 10 regiments additional. On the 10th of July following, the President issued a call for 500,000 more volunteers to serve, quote, three years or during the war, unquote. Again, July 2nd, 1862, he issued a call for 300,000 men, and again, August 4th, 1862, another for 300,000. There were various other calls made up to the close of the war. Nearly every call was filled and more than filled by the loyal people of the North. The aggregate number of men furnished under all calls was 2,688,523. Of this number, Pennsylvania furnished 366,326. We enlisted under the calls of July 2nd and August 4th, 1862. It is not my intention to write a history of the war. Other and abler pens have already done that, and, no doubt, others will attempt it in the future. But some reader of this work may inquire, why this outpouring of men and rush to arms of millions of soldiers? The reply will be given in as few words as possible. Away back in the early settlement of this country, the system of human slavery was introduced. When the thirteen states declared their independence and became a nation, slavery existed in all those states. But in time, it was banished from all the northern states and still remained in the southern. The north without slavery increased more in wealth and power than the south did with it. More new states were added to the Union without slavery than with it. The southern leaders and politicians saw the power and influence they once wielded gradually leaving them. If any suppose it was merely a desire to perpetuate slavery that caused the Southern leaders to inaugurate a civil war, they are badly mistaken. It was a desire for power, and to hold their power, slavery must not only be perpetuated, but also extended. The North had frequently, by words and acts, declared that they had no intention of interfering with that institution where it existed, but that it should extend no further so as to make slave territory out of that already free. The whole matter may thus be summed up. Southern politicians saw in the rapid increase of the free states, both in number and in population, and the strong opposition to the admission of any more slave states, that the power that they had so long held was about to depart. The only course left them was to set up an independent government the cornerstone of which should be human slavery. Thus it will be seen that the perpetuity and the extension of slavery was necessary for the perpetuity of their power, 
and the desire for the perpetuity of their power was the cause of the rebellion. Part First A Sketch of the Early Life of J. Andrew Klein and History of the Organization of the Volunteer Company called Loyal Union Guards up to its assignment to the 155th Regiment Volunteer Infantry with an appendix by Major J. A. Klein, late commanding officer of 155th Pennsylvania Volunteers. Revised by Brevet Major D.P. Marshall. I'm going to really enjoy <laughs> reading this history of Company K to you all. I don't have too much notes. Uh, I just want to talk about the next episode is going to release in two weeks. It's going to be a bit longer as we finish up chapter one. This is my first Patreon post, and it's going to follow the same format as my regular episodes, so I hope you like it. And I've decided to change my Patreon around. I feel like I'm going to be making enough work to earn a payment on Patreon or through donations or something like that. And at first I believed doing it through different tiers would be the way to do it. Like, if you pay this much, you'll get this much access. And if you pay this much, you'll get that much access. But with how hard everything is right now, and so many people struggling, I just wanted to offer just one. Just one dollar a month. So that your total bill, if you subscribe for all 12 months, will be $12 a year. Because I don't want to be another Netflix. I know I can give you $1 worth amount of content and more every month. And that means it's you can support me if you want, and I don't want to be too taxing on everybody when times are really hard. So I haven't changed it on the website yet. But everyone... If you join my Patreon, you'll be a Zouave. It's just going to be $1. I know I tiered it where it was going to be like 50 But no, I'm just wiping it. I just, I want to create a community. I'm not all that interested in money. I just know that I shouldn't get paid for a little bit, if you want, for like the work that I'm doing. I just think that's fair. And, I mean, it's been like a rough... Like two decades, right, guys? 2008, financial crisis, the housing crisis, COVID, shutdowns, evictions. It's been rough, so, you know, if you can spare it, thanks. And I'm going to have another donation tab for some other stuff, but first and foremost, I want to make a community. So, if you're part of the Patreon, you'll be part of the community that I'm going to make. And this is the first episode for that. And you guys are my first listeners, so this is, uh, this is what I'm putting forward. Hope you like it. Uh, the actual episode is about to come out, so in a few hours it's going to drop as well. And I'll see you in the next one. They will find him and know him amongst the good and true when a robe of white is given for that faded coat of blue. No more the bugle calls the weary one. Rest, noble spirit, in thy grave alone. They will find you and
is given for that caitiff coat of blue. He cried, give me water and just one little crumb, and my mother, she will bless you through all the years to come. Go tell my sweet sister, so gentle, good, and true, that I'll meet her up in heaven or in my faded coat of blue. No more the bugle calls the weary one. Rest, noble spirit, in thy grave alone. They will find you and know you amongst the good and true. When a robe of white is given for that faded 